The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 187 for Monday, January 12th, 2009. Greetings, folks. Is it time for the podcast? You bet it is. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. We're back. Yeah. We're we're yeah, in our normal kind of yeah physically, physically but um <laughs> yeah I'm still readjusting, dude. <clears throat> that shirt right. really wore me out. I I got back. So as you know, I was hemming and hawing um all last week trying to decide is the weather on Saturday going to cause me trouble connecting through JFK to to get to Boston, and finally on Friday I decided heck with it. I'll take the red eye. I hate taking the red eye, but it was a nonstop flight. So I took the red eye home on Friday night and I got home, you know, I got like three hours of sleep on the plane and then uh, I I got home and I slept another four hours until about 2 PM. And then uh, Saturday night I went to sleep at about 1130 and I slept till 11 o'clock on Sunday. And when I woke up, I turned to my wife. I'm like, man, the last time I slept 11 and a half hours was, well, I guess it was the day after I got home from Macworld last year. Because that show just wears you out. It's terrible. I mean, it's fun. It's great. But I, I'm sure we're just running on pure adrenaline by the end of the week. And, and once that wears off, it's just, you know, dead to the world. Yeah. I, I was actually in the hall when they, you know, the voice from the sky said the end of Macworld, you know, or Macworld 2009 is closed. Oh. And I'm convinced there was the vendors that were going, yeah, <laughs> a lot of them were shot. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my experience was, yeah, so, so I, I toughed it out and I, you know, left Saturday morning. Right. Uh, there was a message on my phone. They had uh, United had called, left me a message about, you know, 1 a.m., though. My phone didn't beep or nothing, or I slept through it, or whatever. Thank goodness. Um, saying, please call us because, um, you know, we got an important message. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And they're like, well, instead of going through Dulles, we're going to send you through uh, uh, Chicago. I'm like, okay. Because actually, it was a shorter flight because I had a longer layover in my original flight. So I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Cool. And my flight left a little later. Um, so it was supposed to, so I left like 10 in the morning in California, was supposed to land about 11 p.m. Uh, in Bradley. So we get to Chicago. And it's it, it it just finished snowing. They were you know plowing the oh the first thing. So you know I I didn't get a seat. I checked in and it it, it said like seating control document. Right. It was like no seat. And I'm right. like oh boy. So I go up and she's like well you know when I open up we'll call you. They didn't call me. I go up and she's like oh here you go. And I look and it's a 11E. And I'm like oh man that's a middle seat. She's like it's an exit row. I'm like oh thank you. Well that's not bad. <laughs> and it was the big exit row, not the the cramped one. Right. Right. So maximum leg room. And then my, the, the second leg of my flight, I think I had 7F. And I'm like, oh, window. I don't like windows. I like aisles, you know, just so you move around and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was in their United Plus section, which was like oh. extra leg room. Yep. yep. So I'm like, okay, thank you. Well, that's not bad. You know, <laughs> I, find, thing- I find those extra leg room sections. I've never done United, but I did JetBlue a couple of times. You know, you can pay an extra 10 or 15 bucks to be yeah. there. And I, it was like first class in terms of legroom. I was able to be in, a, be in a window seat and get out without having the guy in the aisle stand up. So, okay. Well, I was able to on my laptop watch. Uh, uh, I was watching uh, Lost season four. Uh huh. Um, but I could put it on my lap, and it fully extended. There was enough room. Right. Whereas in a normal seat, that, that's where I told you. You know, a, a stewardess took pity on me and saying, "Boy, that looks terribly uncomfortable." You know, because I had it kind of wedged in there, like at an angle. Right. Because in a normal seat, you just don't have the room. And I'm like, well, you know, if you'd like to help 
solve the problem, you know, there's I think there's some seats up front, right? <laughs> I was probably a bit too uh, hey, pushy there. All right, you know what? If you don't ask, it'll never happen. And so if you ask politely and nicely, man, sometimes they have the authority to do that. So, yeah, so could have. But anyways, so that was it. And then we landed about midnight and the worst part, probably the worst part, but not the worst. I mean, you know, I'm used to driving in uh, snow and stuff, but it was it was a it had finished a little snowing and then it was just starting like sleet and freezing rain and stuff like that. But, you know. Do not accelerate wildly, do not brake wildly, and you can drive on top of snow at near highway speeds. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't weave wildly to scare off other drivers or anything. Which some people did. I would see some people, and they were driving like nuts, and you know the lanes were unclear, so everybody should have been giving everybody a little leeway, because you, you didn't know. I mean, sometimes... You know, I would feel the rumble because, you know, I was off where the, the rumble strips are on the on the shoulder. But you had no way of telling where, where the heck you were. I mean, there were just, you, you could not see the lines until I got towards the coast where I live. And then it started raining and everything cleared up. So. Right. So I don't know what time I'm on. I mean, I did go to work today and I did work normal hours, but um, I still feel a bit fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've still got whatever. You know, I started getting that cold on Wednesday but thankfully, oh, the, the sickness. Now, yeah, the gig was, on the gig on Wednesday night really blew it out of me for the most part. I mean, I've got a little bit of lingering. You can hear it in my throat, but um, it, you know, sweating for three hours is is really actually a good thing to get that stuff out of you. I was drinking yep. water like crazy too, which I didn't do today. Oh, yeah. And you can certainly hear that. Yeah, I need more water. So, anyways, um, although we almost had enough of the show, Dave, do, do you want to talk about maybe a few things that we, um, a few wrap up items of yeah, pick, things that we saw? Or pick noticed? a couple. Yeah, go. All right. So, what I saw, a few people in the uh, the media room mentioned this, but they were in the North Hall and they were kind of hidden uh, to the side, so you wouldn't see them except maybe if you were leaving. Which I don't know if that's the point. But Sun has a virtual machine called Virtual Box. It's an acquisition. I forget who they acquired it from, but uh, it's now under Sun's umbrella, and it runs um, under let's see, uh, Open Solaris, OS X, Windows, Ubuntu, Fedora. Uh, and I think it will let you run Windows and you know various flavors of Linux, but it's a, a free, and uh, I was playing with it a little bit, uh, apparently a pretty full-featured emulator. It lets you go to you know, do audio devices, USB devices, um, you know, not some of the limitations that you run into with other, some of the other uh, emulators, but it looks on par with, uh, from what I can tell, I mean, I installed Windows, upgraded to Service Pack 3, so I'm on XP Service Pack 3, and everything seems to be functioning properly, so... Cool. Uh, the speed seems pretty good. So um, they put it on physical media, but you can go also go to um, virtualbox. I think it's org. If you can okay. check that out, that'd be great. I'm checking it now. Or I could check it if you have something. No, I got it. It's it is virtualbox. org. Yep. Okay. So um, heck, I, I'm you know I'm like, well, what's in it for you guys? You know, <laughs> which I still wonder with some of the things that Sun does, but yeah. Huh. Originally, you know. originally created by a German software company named Innotech. Um, okay, yes, it was an acquisition. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. But it looks, uh, it looks great. Uh, again, it handled XP Service Pack three and and all that um, with no problems. It has, you know, like a lot of other emulators, a little thing that installs uh, extras that make it work better, like video drivers and device drivers and stuff. Um, so yeah, check it out. And uh, but what do you have, Dave, in your? Uh, bottom of the barrel or yeah. not necessarily bottom of the barrel no it's not at all at the bottom of the barrel in fact had i seen it before we did our show on thursday it would have been the top of the barrel <clears throat> but Ooh. i'm gonna hit pause on that particular uh topic for the moment because you mentioned video drivers being installed into ah. sun's virtual box so i'm just gonna skip ahead very very slightly in the agenda 
Uh, during show 186, which is the one that we did on Thursday on the show floor, we had a question about how um, boot camp uh, would uh, on this one guy's MacBook Pro would going from boot camp to the Mac would sometimes cause the video to freak out and uh, and he would have to go through all sorts of things. And you can listen to 186 yeah. about our discussion yeah. on that. Well, uh, true to form. One of our listeners decided to to hold uh, to the the pattern of where we talk about something in one show and then we get listener feedback for the next show. Of course, this listener was sitting right there in the audience, so uh, you certainly could have come up and and uh, addressed this while we were talking. But uh, maybe we maybe we ran out of time or yeah. whatever it was. So my guess, which well, one of the guesses, but my guess, which it turns out um, is still something to try. But I, you know, uh, being on you know software, blame the hardware, and I thought, and it still could be, but. Hearing this, I doubt it, but it could be video hardware. But right. uh, I, I don't think in this case so the suggestion was. No, no. His suggestion was he had seen exactly the same problem. And what happened was on his machine, Windows had gone out and automatically upgraded what it thought was the right video driver with a newer version. Um, and and so it replaced the driver that was in there. Now, the driver that was in there if you have boot camp installed is a very specialized driver from Apple to work on that Mac hardware. And the driver that gets sucked down from the windows update site is not specifically built to run on Apple hardware. Remember Apple's hardware uses uh, standard video components in there, you know, depending on what model computer it is, but, but they're not Mac specific in the general sense. However, they are Mac specific um, when it comes to how everything is going to work with boot camp and by using the wrong driver or the wrong flavor of the driver, if you will, it causes this problem. And so what this particular fellow said he had to do was he went ahead and wiped out boot camp, reinstalled windows and reinstalled the driver from, uh, from the Apple virtual, uh, I guess you, you download a disc image and then burn it to a DVD or CD and then install the drivers off of that. My guess is from, from at least from my windows experience, is you probably could get away with just replacing the driver, pulling out the old driver, uh, which would then bring you back to kind of standard VGA mode the next time you reboot, and then loading in the driver from the Apple uh, uh, CD, and that would probably do it without having to wipe out Windows. So, okay. Yeah. So that's that how we sense. that's how we used to do it back in the uh, you know the XP days. Was you just go into the device manager in Windows and yank out the driver and tell it, yep, delete it. And then it'll tell you to reboot and you come back and the display looks like you're in 256 colors yep. and, and all that. And then at that point, you can install the, the new or, in this case, old and, driver and you're back in and business. That, and that kind of relates to what I was talking about before, because while, while you were mentioning that, I quickly brought up uh, VirtualBox in a virtual machine. And after you uh, and it's very quick, too. It took like maybe 20 seconds to wow. resume session. So uh, or 30 seconds. So uh, it's pretty zippy. Check it out. But looking in the display properties, which if you right click on the desktop in XP and then you bring up settings. Yep. Display here. It says default monitor on virtual box graphics adapter. Uh -huh. So these horrible things won't happen to the emulators because typically they put one in there. that's different from right from well remember drivers. remember though be, it, it's important to remember that boot camp is not an emulation environment oh no no it's it's a windows machine it's a the, windows the right machine drivers right because it's an intel chip yeah. yeah so there's just those little nuances right of the chipsets they use and the yeah the, the way they do graphics and stuff like that that yeah it sounds like in this case definitely yeah. tripped our uh, listener up yep okay so back to the show floor 
uh, I hand it over to uh, and and I I use this term in with with uh, with great respect, but I hand it over to the shanty town in the North Hall, and I and this was at uh, Katie from MacCore's recommendation, but I, I I sort of stumbled onto it. I the busy the busy Mac dot com booth where which is the makers of a piece of software called busy sync that we have talked about before but i've never used uh i did install it today and it I, i'm an idiot you know i should have done this a long time ago I, everybody recommended it i had ranted about how i couldn't get the shared calendar uh that my wife and i want to use i couldn't get it on our iphones because you know shared calendars don't appear on iphones and uh what busy sync does is it essentially creates the same calendar on both machines and both computers think of it as a local calendar. And then busy sync sort of runs in the background on both machines and, and syncs data between the two calendars. And you can set it into read mode or read, write mode, however you want to do it. Uh, but over bonjour. And then, you know, of course, just over your, your land, it connects and syncs the stuff back and forth. So I did that today and it works great. So first of all, there's busy sync. We've talked about it before. Now I actually use it and I swear by it. It, uh, it although I've only been using it for several hours, so I can't I can't swear by its reliability personally, although I've seen many people use it. But the big news is something you can't get yet, and that's called busy Cal. Now, I'm going to take a step back here and talk about how the iCal framework works in Leopard. iCal. And its data are divorced from one another, OK? Uh, they have they share custody, uh, but but really what it is is iCal's data sits all by itself in the system, and then iCal is just one way of getting at that data, uh, seeing it, manipulating it, and using it. You can also see that data inside Mail, and uh, and then there's other apps like that app today that we talked about for a while uh, that also looks at the iCal data store. Okay, so the data is just there, and it's that data store. That is synced with sync services, which, of course, goes out to mobile me and and your iPhone. BusyCal is an iCal replacement, but it still looks at the same calendar source. So all those benefits of syncing and all that stuff are available. Now, why would you need an iCal replacement? Well, because iCal sucks. Um, what? Oh, don't be oh, so yeah. harsh. Oh, no. iCal sucks. Uh, so so BusyCal... In addition to having all of these great things from BusySync under the hood, all built into to, to BusyCal, so it can sync, it can sync with Google calendars, um, it, it can do all that stuff. It also allows for recurring to dos, um, it which is something you cannot do. It uh, they did a cool thing where you can put live weather up uh, in you know for the next five days, and it just magically floats in your calendar. If you choose to put a to do on on a date, when you then look at month view, you see that to do on the date as opposed to in that weird place on the right hand side that doesn't really map to your days uh, like iCal does. And uh, it, it's just it's a much better calendar. I looked at it and I said to to John Chafee, who's the um, busy Cal uh, rep there that was you know talking to us i said wow this reminds me of you know the old now up to date not the new now up to date that they've sort of ruined but the old one and he said well you know we're the original development team for now up to date and i thought 
Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Now I do. Now it, now it makes sense. So these are people that totally know how to make a calendar program. They know how to make one that actually works. And, uh, and they're doing it. It looks very, very similar to iCal, but they call it, you know, busy Cal is like iCal pro. They say, think of it as iCal pro. And it's really true. Really. I think of it as what iCal should be. If anyone at Apple used it, but they don't, they use meeting maker at Apple. So no one has to live with this, this horror that they call iCal, but, uh, you can put, you know, uh, graphics on the calendar if you want for different events and, and all sorts of things. So it is not out yet. It's due to be released this spring. They say a public beta is coming sooner than that. I begged with John to take a beta of what he had home. But of course, what they had at Macworld isn't even close to beta. It's sort of an alpha stage. It's very stable. It's just it's just not feature complete at all. So there you go. Okay. Um, Okay. A couple of follow ups to what you say. One, you mentioned Shantytown. Now, a select here's some select words from what a Shantytown uh, involve. And that is dwellings made from plywood, corrugated metal sheets of plastic. When you think of Macworld, that's pretty much what all the boobs are made of, right? Even wood, the expensive ones. Yeah. Wood, metal, plastic, maybe some nice carpeting or something. But uh, so, so I don't think Shantytown is totally inappropriate. Of course, there are other aspects to it, which are sure. probably not anger. Okay. Uh, thing I saw. So uh, we did mention in our last podcast something called Model Baker, uh, with, which lets you make web apps on an iPhone. But then there was another group, and actually, I think it won... Um, uh, iPod something. Was it iPod? Uh, iPod Alley? Who knows? That? iPhone Alley? iPhone Alley. Yes, I'm sorry. Michael Johnston's uh, site. I, I believe they got an award from him or, hmm. or some, some iPhone-related site. But uh, right. Tile Stack. I think that was definitely iPhone Alley. Yep. Okay, great. Yep. Yeah, I thought I saw the sign there. Um, so anyways, this is, uh, and, and Dave, uh, you know, this will put a smile on your face, but uh, I got some details from them, but they have a, a platform that lets you through a web interface use what, as far as I can tell, is an invocation or something that, that was inspired by HyperCard. If you recall HyperCard, it was a tool that was on, you know, the OS 9 and earlier machines that uh, basically used a card paradigm with a, a language behind it called HyperTalk um, that would let you do a lot of things that didn't necessarily require a deep knowledge of software engineering, is that you had cards and they made stacks and you could put things on the cards and they could interact with the user, but, but they presented, I think, in a way where a lot of people, uh, for better or worse, were able to build applications that didn't, didn't necessarily know how to build software. They just needed to get a job done. So these guys are taking, uh, letting you do this, but then the unique thing in the spirit of Model Baker, my whole thing was having you know, been introduced to the world of iPhone development, I, uh, my opinion is that the tools could be a little nicer. So anything that gives you an alternative to deploying an iPhone or iPod Touch app is of interest to me. What they do is that if you do use their environment to create a hypercard stack, they will, and then, you know, I'm sure some money is involved here, uh, license, you know, uh, uh, per, uh, whatever, they will convert from what you develop in their environment using this hypercard-like thing to an iPhone app. Cool. And I think there's a revenue share aspect to it. So in exchange for getting tools that will allow you to develop, which are probably apps that are not as rich, but are graphical, you know, HyperCard. And, you know, we'll, we'll link to what HyperCard is if you haven't used it. But if you use it, you understand the paradigm. It's very iPhone-like, I think, in some respects, deploying a HyperCard stack. So I thought that was very neat. Oh, that's what cool. So it, it actually, I know when we were uh, doing our show floor podcast, we were talking about um, something that builds iPhone tailored web pages this actually builds applications is that right yes okay. yes they will work with you 
you can deploy, I think you can deploy as Flash, you can deploy as a Facebook app, I, I guess there are a, a widget, a few other things. Uh, but one target is is a uh, is an iPhone. Well, very cool. Very cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. What do you got? Um, well, I, I'm good with the the MacWorld stuff. I'm ready to move on. You ready to move on? Uh, you want one, one more? I'm going to mention just because I just because I saw them and I thought they were worth a mention. So so we did mention Undercover. It was I think. Um, yep. Yes. So that's from, one from utility Orbicule. to find things. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. But there was another vendor I came across, and they were in one of these, um, yes, shanty towns. Um, but they have a different spin on things. So if you recall, Orbicule kind of hides the details, as far as I can tell, of what's happening, and they kind of leave it between them and law enforcement. Or maybe, maybe I didn't get the sense that you were dealing – I got the sense you had to deal with them in order to – have them activate the service and to, to move it to the next step if, if things don't work. Whereas Got this it. other group called MacTrack, so they also uh, have location tracking, eyesight and Flickr integration. Um, but what they showed me is that instead of it being delivered to a third party, you actually get the information delivered to you. Ah. So, a, a different spin. Sure. Um, and it says here, remote activation is simple. Open a web browser, use your iPhone to log in and activate. The next time your system connects to the Internet, you, your software activates sending data and images to you. Huh. So uh, the key thing the, the, the guy that I talked to wanted to point out to me is that rather than it being delivered to a third party, it's delivered to you. And I, I guess it depends on your preference. You, know, sure. you may want that data, you, or you may want someone else to take care of it. But, um, and then there was another company, um, a third one. So it seems to be a th- three-way race. <laughs> There's also another company that makes a, a LoJack product, and, and we'll find that as well. So from what I could tell by cruising the floor after we did our live podcast, there are three players in this market. And, you know, especially if you have a portable, I'd say probably not for a desktop, those you can lock down or get security cables. But with a portable, one of these three things may be worth looking at because they're, they're especially in this day and age, I think, you know, just a, very attractive theft targets. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Huh. Very cool. Okay, that's all I got. So uh, that's all you got. Yeah, we got the show. Uh, yeah, for for show wrap up. Oh, oh, I see. So we we have more though that we can do. Is that right? Oh, I got more. Oh, I got way more. Okay. All right. Well, let's do our first sponsor here. Our first sponsor is Barebones Software with BB Edit, and BB Edit Nine is a, a huge upgrade for uh, for their their text editing software. Uh, BB Edit Nine includes a couple of really huge changes. One of them is text and code completion. So as you're typing in a, uh, either a programming language or simply in English, uh, as you type, it will offer to complete words or function names. And it's even smart enough to pick up variables and function names from your own code. So really, really handy. Uh, it's something I use all the time when I use BB edit. Another new thing modeless find and replace windows. So you can get a find going and move to another window without having that, that find or replace windows sit on top of what you're doing and get in your way. This is magic, you know, for, for people that have worked with BB edit for years. Now you can edit text in results, windows and disc browsers. So you don't have to click to open the file. As soon as you click on the file, it's available in a window and you can just type and edit right there and it'll save it back to uh, 
if you if you're on a disk browser, it'll save it back to the disk or in a results window, it'll you know save it back to wherever it came from. And of course, integration with mobile me. So you can sync your uh, preferences back and forth if you're using multiple machines. Again, this is BB edit nine from Barebones software at barebones.com. It is one hundred twenty five dollars. Uh, if you bought it after January 1st of 2008, that's a year and 12 days ago, uh, it may be free depending on what you bought and where you bought it. Uh, if you have a prior version uh, and it's not eligible for the free upgrade, it's 30 bucks. So 125 bucks, 30 bucks or free from barebones.com. Moving forward, we have a couple of connections. We have a couple of questions about wireless connections. And uh, I think we're going to start with John. Not you, but this John. Hi, guys. How are you doing? This is John and Chang. Hi. Longer, first time caller. I really enjoy the show. Anyway, so you- uh, uh, I'm going to stop for a second. His audio is a little choppy when it starts, but uh, then it clears up pretty quickly and you can, you can understand what he's saying. So. You can help me with an issue I have um, only at the office. I've got a 13-inch aluminum MacBook for 10.5.6, and our office has about 20 people sharing a D-Link router. Um, most of them are wired. Uh, my problem is that my connection being only at the office will suddenly stop transferring into the connection, but nothing is coming through. No emails, no web pages are lo- loading. Um, I'll go and check my IP address, and it looks correct. Um, I'll also try renewing DHCP lease. I always receive the same IP address as I had immediately before. Um, the reason why I think this is more than just a, uh, a router problem is that whenever this happens, I find that my mail program freezes. Um, I see that the, each account is spinning, trying to get uh, new mail, but uh, they just continue to spin. And if I try to quit, that won't work. The only way to shut it down is to force quit. Um, after force quitting my mail, I still find that um, 99% of the time, I can't get an internet connection uh, in the sense that I'm connected to the router, but nothing is coming through. I'll even try connecting to an open Wi-Fi um, network that our, our uh, neighbors have here um, with still no luck. I'll get an IP address, but again, uh, no data is being transferred. Um, one of my colleagues is running a, a window. I'm the only one running a Mac. Um, everyone else is using XP or Vista. And one of my colleagues with Vista uh, complains that the network is unstable, but he never has the issue where he's unable to reconnect again. Um, anyways, I hope this is clear enough. Um, if you guys have a chance to, uh, to address this, we'd really appreciate your time and expertise. Uh, this is where you cut me off. All right. Uh, I know we're going to pass this one back and forth here, John, but I'm going to start off with uh, Apple, the, his comment about Apple Mail. Um, and, and that being the evidence pointing to it, not being related to the router, it is, it, it has nothing to do with, uh, Apple mail, Apple mail, um, rather I'm going to say it, it almost certainly is the router, uh, or at least the fact that Apple mail is doing what it's doing does not preclude it from being the router. Apple mail, if it loses its connection, it gets all bent out of shape. Uh, it, it is not happy when connections come and go. It blows things up. Uh, oftentimes you have to, you know, choose to rebuild your mailbox to get everything right. So, uh, the behavior that Apple mail is exhibiting 
is exactly what I would expect it to exhibit huh. if your connection dropped. It just, or, you know, it, just, it, it, it sits in a loop and it's waiting for data yeah. and, you know, it's just. Well, or, well, or, the other one I've experienced um, yep. is, uh, you know, in the workplace we use Entourage. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, it, well, I, I think one time I, I tweeted this, but uh, I can also link to it. But one time I had a colleague who all of a sudden Entourage just would not understand how to get new mail. And uh, my colleague uh, was able to to do web access. We, uh, you know, Entourage has, I got to say, or, or Outlook in general has a very nice web access feature, you know, uh, right. through Firefox or something. Right. And she could get her mail there. So that meant to me, okay, something screwed up. And, and I, I accidentally stumbled across the setting in Entourage that rebuilds the caches. Yep. So what happened? There was a cache. It was corrupted. And it, it didn't know enough to, to get rid of it and start fresh. Exactly. Once we did that. Everything's great. So, same sort of thing. Yeah, email programs get cranky when they... And I suspect this person also may have shut the machine down and slept it during a mail exchange, which kind of like time capsule, some apps don't deal gracefully with right. lost wireless connections. Right. Okay, anyway. so so it, it it is almost certainly the wireless connection. And uh, I know we, we kind of passed this back and forth. What are, what are your thoughts on what's going on here, John? Um, my thoughts is I think uh, the uh, the piece of hardware they're talking to is getting dogpiled. I think <laughs> to be okay. technical, <laughs> that's but, the technical well, term. But that's what we were thinking. So, so what I would say in general, and 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 I think you hinted at this in in the pre work. Um, the device is is getting overwhelmed. Yeah, I suspect. Now the the thing is, so you do have and and you know it's a generalization, but you know Netgear and and. Linksys and stuff tend to be the lower end. Uh, I believe the device was one of those. Or he said D-Link. D-Link. I'm sorry. Okay, D-Link. I would also classify at least for a certain class of devices. If you're talking, and it sounds like he's in an environment where there's tens of users, uh, when you get to that point, you may want to look at something Cisco-like or yeah, or, or anyway, something classified as an enterprise class device. Yeah. That's designed for way more users because I think as, as you and I before the show, did, you know, we commented, if it's rated for 20 users or 30 users, it's probably, a, you know, a, a generous <laughs> estimate my, of how my, much it can actually handle. My understanding is a lot of these, you know, consumer level devices are rated for 50 connections. I, I can't even begin to imagine that they would actually work well with anywhere near that. And he's saying 20. Now he said, you know, 20, some of these 20 are wired, but, but even if you've got 10 wireless computers connected and, you know, it's possible wherever uh, John has his computer is potentially at the end edge of the range of the connection. Uh, So yeah, I, I, I would say that all the behavior that, that we're hearing about here is exactly normal for a flaky wireless connection. Now, it could be flaky because of range. It could be flaky because there's too many other connections, you know, too many other clients connection, connected, or a mix of both. So, Yeah. Now, one other option, because I've seen this in some of these products, is if you do get... Now, this is for the, you know, put on your propeller beanie. This is for the people who want to muck around, but if, if you think you can handle it, um, a third-party firmware, like I remember one that I had, uh, you know, the... WRT54G uh, Linksys is, is one that's, I think, legendary as far as being modifiable. And the DDWRT firmware, and one of the settings I remember is that there was a setting for maps, maximum number of sockets 
sockets being a unique network connection to that device. Now, remember, a single computer could have, you know, a hundred sockets. Yes, yes, exactly. And this okay. would let you set it at hundreds or thousands. Right. So what I'm saying is the third-party firmware, if you, if you have a feel for how many sockets people will be opening, and Dave, Dave's perfectly correct, and that you could, you know, a single user could have tens or hundreds of sockets open talking all sorts of things. You know, some open for a very short amount of time and some open for extended data transfers. But um, so if you, you want to muck around a bit, uh, having a firmware that lets you set this, because I think intentionally it's probably set low, or maybe buried in the advanced section of so, some of them. You know, how many network connections do you want to allow? And, you know, overestimate, and then maybe the congestion, because it's definitely congestion. The, there's just too much happening. I actually, it, you were blessed, Dave. I think you were near a good access point where we were in the hotel. But I had, I mean, it, it would start downloading and then just grind to a halt. And sometimes I disconnect and reconnect, and I had an IP address, like he he stated in his situation. Even though I had an IP address and it wasn't a one six nine address, which sometimes happened. Yep. Which hinted to me that the thing, yeah, was sometimes it was gasping. Um, nothing happened. It it would start downloading and just sit there forever and ever. Sometimes it would, I suspect, because other people were doing the same thing, they were disconnecting and reconnecting, wondering what the heck was going on. So. Yeah. Okay. You know, let let's talk about that in the hotel because I had yeah. a, a lot of people. Uh, actually, I had several people telling me they had no problems with the the wireless, in, at the, and I'm talking about the the Milano. Um, though this, of course, could extend to any hotel you stay at when there's a conference going on with lots of people using their laptops. And uh, and I had lots of people at the Milano saying, "Yeah, it's fine, it works great." And then I had other people uh, saying, "No, it it's terrible," including one that was. A, right across the hall from me. Now, I know where the access point was. It was uh -huh. basically between our two rooms. I could see it. Um, and also, that's a room I stayed in. In fact, that's the room I stayed in uh, at the Milano for WWDC and had great connections. In fact, I did three podcasts, one of which was ours, and, and Skype worked beautifully. It was fine. Uh, so I had no problem there. Now, it's possible, though, that I've spent enough time on hotel Wi-Fi in the last year or two that I have sort of level set myself to expect that, you know, yeah, I'm not going to expect that if I go to download a, uh, a movie from iTunes, that it's going to come in in 20 minutes like it does at home. And I, I, you know, I started listening to what people were saying and, and I'm not saying you specifically, John, I, uh, but you know, people with potentially slightly less technical savvy, uh, saying, oh, yeah, you know, I go to the New York Times homepage and I'm having trouble watching videos. And it's like, OK, well, wait a minute. What are you trying to do here? Y you know, uh, it, it sounded like um, some people were expecting more than more than I was out of the connection. And whether or not they should uh, expect that it is what it is. Right. You know, you're in a hotel. They've got one pipe. It's shared among everybody. All I all I expect is that when I go to surf the Web uh, I can surf and, you know, and not blazingly fast, but I click on a link and within 10 seconds, the web page starts coming up. And when I check my email, my email comes in and uh, and, you know, again, I it's hard to tell because people get frustrated and they say, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. And so I, you know, I just walk away from the conversation. I don't really listen. Anymore. Yeah. Well, you can't walk away from me. No, no. So, it, I mean, it, it, but anyway, I would move it. But the thing is, I looked and the problem is like the, the speed of the connection was like one normal is one thirty. So there was nothing. And, no, no, no. And, you know, In that hotel, there's no N. So normal is 50, 
maximum is 54. Okay, I'm sorry. You're correct. But but yeah. I got one, right? So Really? Now that's that's and and just And, to, to and catch my bar up. sometimes was all the way down at like one bar. Oh, okay. So, so you just had a bad connection to the router or a bad a bad location. That, a bad location. Is, that's what I mean. Yeah. Because I would move it a little bit sometimes or, or sometimes and I think it was just people moving around. The problem is people who are full of water block wireless. Yes. Metal or Especially, you know, if they're doing house cleaning in the morning, you have motors throwing off all sorts of garbage. Yeah. Yep. So all sorts of things can interfere. You were blessed the, the location, and I think you told me you and uh, Greg were were kind of doing uh, the eye stumbler thing, trying to find the best signal strength on the floor. That's right. We talked about that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. All right. Moving on. Uh, so let's. Act, this is actually an excellent question to read here because we really sort of dovetails in. The solution is is almost exactly what we're talking about here um, and I'm vamping because I got to get there. But Ken writes, I think he writes, he wrote, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Ken wrote. Uh, he and he I'm, did. I'm going to tell you what he writes. Uh, he says, I have a DSL modem plugged into my one terabyte time capsule. I also have two airport express N gigabit routers. I have two goals. One, boost the wireless signal strength to parts of my home that do not reliably get a good signal. And number two, use AirTunes at both Airport Express locations. My home has wired Ethernet in each room, which is kind of cool, although I know a lot of homes are being built that way these days. Uh, All of the rooms are connected to one panel of Ethernet plugs in the closet where my time capsule resides. I would like to configure my home network so that my time capsule plugs in via the Ethernet to each of my express routers at remote locations. I would then like my time capsule and both express routers to all broadcast one wireless network. Note, I have had no problems connecting my express routers wirelessly to my time capsule network and then extending the range of my network. Unfortunately, when I do this, AirTunes will randomly stop playing music. I also have no problems connecting the express routers to the time capsule using Ethernet mode. And then it, and then his email starts to get very confusing here, so I'm just going to stop. I think he's going about it in the wrong way. It sounds like it, this sounds very simple to me, John. And, and, and I know we talked about this, but bear with me I, on this. I think it can if you, I mean, you but, but I think one key is you want to separate the wireless and the wired part of this that's right yeah and i think if you, if you start mixing the two and, and i'll let you uh clarify you're right yeah so right so just because you want to extend your wireless network you don't necessarily want to use the function of the airport base station that says extend wireless network why well because the wireless the extend wireless network function uses the airport radio to do two things at once receives a signal wirelessly and then retransmits it wirelessly. Okay. And that's probably why AirTunes cuts out when he does that because it's doing, you know, it's got a, my guess is, and I don't know enough about the technology, but my guess is it's, you know, doing double duty. It's not really doing double duty. It's sort of pulling, you know, pulling the connection and then broadcasting and then pulling and then broadcasting. I've run into the same thing, but because I've only, at least at home used an express for, extending wirelessly what I have upstairs near the cable modem. Right. And I've noticed that too. It drops out because I think, yeah, as you point out, it's a, the bandwidth is, is uh, almost enough to right. stream music, but sometimes 
if the computer is busy doing other things. So, so I'll, I'll concur that wireless is probably not the best strategy for uh, air tunes. But, but the beautiful thing is Ken has wires running everywhere, as he said. So the wow. idea is first plug everything in wired. The time capsule sits in the, uh, the network closet, we'll call it. And then there's Ethernet cables with home runs back to the network closet from points beyond. And so we plug two of those cables into the time capsule. And then the other end of each of those cables in the rooms where you want the Airport Express. So now we have a wired network. But we want, for Ken's uh, number one goal, is we want to have one wireless network throughout the house. Now, let's go back to the hotel here, John. The hotel appears to have one wireless network. It's called, uh, let's say, Hotel Milano. And in fact, I think that's what it was called. Huh. But if you if you opened iStumbler, you saw that, in fact, Mm. it wasn't one network. It was several. And and at any point in time, it was one SSID, one name, multiple, as you see with iStumbler, multiple MAC addresses, because it was different wireless access points who were all called. The same thing, which I think is okay to do. Of course it is. And computers are pretty smart in this regard because they'll just glom on to, to whatever network they can get. Now, uh, if it's on the network, you know, one network, and then the signal strength sort of fades on that one, it might hang on to it until it totally goes away. And then it, you know, starts searching again and quickly grabs the closest now, one. Now, how they do glom, though, is that they do, underneath the covers, know, okay, you're called this and your MAC address is this. Right. Yeah, so, so as soon as you pointed out, if it breaks down, it may look and say, anybody else out there? Oh, you with the same name, but with better strength. Okay. Hi. I'll take you. Because so you, if, if you see a blip in your service, that may be what's happening, especially in, a, in something like a hotel or a right. convention center where they're all called the same thing but with good reason. It, it makes it easier. The computer just and actually maybe easier because the computer says, hey, I want something with that name. Right. Anybody else out there? So, so it, it's actually a good strategy that is uh, kind of uh, clever, I think. So, so the idea is, you, it, it, Ken's house, you want to emulate this hotel thing. So the idea is, and, and John, I'll let you walk through the particulars because I know you have all this hardware and you, and you went through it. But the, my idea would be set them up, set the airport routers up, the airport expresses up to get their uh, connection from Ethernet and then just set them up for their own wireless network, not extending some other wireless network, but their own wireless network, and then just manually make sure that the SSID or the name of the network is the same all the way around and make sure that the password, you know, be it WEP or probably not WEP, but WPA or whatever you choose to do is, of course, the same all the way around and that the the Mm -hmm. extensions, the two uh, airport expresses are not creating their own uh ip network but rather in bridge mode as we like to call it and i think you walked through the steps to to do this right john right so i actually am connected to uh uh, airport express Mm -hmm. and uh, the way i like to go about it is is to go manual so if you connect to the device and you go manual you will then see a number of connect to the device with the airport airport utility utility, which is in should be in your utilities folder Okay. So once you run that, you get the base station, you connect to it, and you will get a bunch of icons on the top of utility. So the first one that we probably want to look at is the one that is airport. 
that's the title of it. And what you want to click on is wireless, and the wireless mode will be create a wireless network. And where it says network name, that's where you want to specify what this will be advertised as, which is, as, as we stated, probably you want it to be the same thing as all the others in, in the same house. Um, then the other tab you want to go to is there's an internet tab, and there is an internet connection tab under that connect using ethernet and then here's the one that you gotta be careful of or else weird things will happen on the bottom it says connection sharing and i think what we want to do so there are three choices here it defaults to share a public ip distributed range of ip addresses and off parentheses bridge mode i think what you want to do is do bridge mode which means that um on the device itself, now the only thing you want to be sure of on the airport device itself the uh, uh, is that on the internet there, that that's doing the DHCD, because somebody has to do uh, it. On the time capsule. Yes, on the time capsule. Yeah. Somebody has to do the DHCP. It could be the time capsule. It could possibly be the router. But Yeah, in fact, it, this is very important, because if you, if you don't have one, you want one and only one, no more, no less. Uh, man it, one device managing the network from that standpoint. So one device handing out IPs, one device uh, sort of managing that, that whole thing. Because that way, as you do jump from access point to access point, your computer will maintain the same IP address. The single DHCP server inside the time capsule says, oh, yeah, I'm already talking to you. It doesn't care if... Uh, you know, if you jump access points, because it doesn't really know, it just sort of sees, yeah, you're still connected mm -hmm. and, and, and you're good to go. So, um, you know. yeah. So, so the key is on the time capsule, it'll do DHCP. All the connected devices that are wired um, will be bridge and they all have the same name and you're golden. I think it'll work great. And I wish I had, you know, the only thing I have, Dave, is I have RG. Uh, oh, what do we call this? RG58 cable, you've probably run some of that. Like That's kind of low-end antenna cable. And the thing is, well, no, I have... Um, what do I have running through the house? I, I forget what it is. But but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I wish I had Cat5 running through the house. Oh, yeah. The thing is, I have both RJ11-type telephone cable and uh, cable TV coax type. Is it, what's the name of that? No, it's not RG58. I forget. Just regular cable TV coax, is that what you're But I have, I have cable TV coax and splitters throughout the house, so I wonder if I could run Ethernet through that somehow. No, I don't think so. I think in order to run um, Ethernet over any of those solutions, I think they need to be home runs, meaning not split and and sent and, and sent everywhere. Yeah. You need that... that um, yeah you know, kind of star configuration where it goes from one point back to a central point, similar to yeah. his, his Ethernet here. Although, you know, there was that whole, I don't know, there, there was, well, back, of course, back in the day, there was uh, local talk, which went over phone cables and, and that would actually have worked. Yeah. You know, dogs. And I'm slow. thinking out loud because I have that running in each room in, in, in the house. I have telephone and cable. But no, uh, Cat Five. I'll get yourself a uh, a wire snake and uh, and just start running Ethernet through your walls. It's great. You can drill through the yeah. walls and everything. Oh yeah. You'll now love if I that. could pull out the cable and run Cat Five instead, hmm, that'd be as easy as it. Looks. One one lesson, and we've I've remodeled several homes, um, and our first home that we bought in 
outside of Austin in a small town called Buda. Uh, we actually spent we myself and, and a friend of mine, Daniel, we actually spent the first two days wiring the whole house and putting Ethernet drops in every room. Now, this was a single story house, so it was relatively easy to do because we could go in the attic and just sort of, you know, string it all around. Uh, but anytime I've remodeled and that was a pain in the neck, I, you know, I never would do that again. Uh, it was horrible, but but it worked, you know, and we had Ethernet everywhere, which was kind of cool, you know, geeky. But uh, anytime I do any remodeling, I always run home runs of cat five. In fact, I always run two cat fives uh, so that you've got one that you can use for phones and another one you can use for Ethernet. Um and one coax and I run them everywhere, you know, every room that I do. And usually I'll put two in a room if I've got like a door so that I don't ever have to think about running cables, you know, over the uh, the door jam or anything. If it's on one side or it's on the other, wherever I decide to put a desk or a computer, boom, it's right there. But, you know, otherwise wireless, it works, especially with the end stuff. It's fine. So, John, I think hmm. I think we're. uh we're 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 pushing the the time limits here, especially given that Pilot Pete's not here to egg us on. Yeah, so we're going to keep it under an hour, I think. We are. We're going to win. We're going to win this battle here. Uh, okay, but before we go, sometimes, in fact, not sometimes, a lot of the time, the only way we get material for the show, unless we you know schlep out to San Francisco and beat it out of people, uh, <laughs> is is for you folks Did to you call. Beat somebody? I I I admit to nothing. No. No, I just mean, you know, that we have to go and we ask people at, like their booths and stuff and we, we get right. information. That's Where's really hard work. The band, the band will be in in a minute. Uh-huh. Uh, we got to go through our contact info first, right? So how, how can you contact us? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> no, of course I know. Uh, of course you can uh, call us at 206-666-GEEK. Geek. Which is? 4335. Uh, you can email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. You can send text questions, or if you record audio on your own end, you can send it in that way too. No problem at all. Yep. Skype. Skype to macgeekgab. It's so easy. And you can see the show notes uh, that John spends uh, hours and hours preparing at mm-hmm. macgeekgab.com. And and then, of course, we, uh, we love those iTunes comments, right? Yep. Love them. Michael Johnston of iPhone Alley is back uh, converting this show for you. In case anyone missed it during uh, the last show, uh, the 183, 184, and 185, the initial downloads of those uh, on the AAC feed would not play on a 3G iPod. In fact, it would cause it to reboot. So if you were having that problem, those files have been fixed. Just re-download them from the server and uh, and and then resync them to your iPod, and they should work just fine. I promise. Yep. On the bright side, you've helped Apple improve their. Uh... <laughs> no, no, you haven't. They they aren't. They won't fix that. Oh. <laughs> it, Sorry, it's also... a, it, it was a weird thing, right? It was only mono AAC files com- uh, compressed at a variable bit rate. So it was a very you know finite set of uh, circumstances and it's been that way for years so i can't imagine they're gonna fix it um but you know i reported it to him again anyway we'll see what happens yep 
Cashfly delivers all the bandwidth that it takes to get this podcast from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software, Disc Label and PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And with that, John, I think we got another one almost in the can. In the can, to, to man. To coin a phrase, uh, to, to use a phrase that Brett, uh, Brent sorry, has coined. Thank you, Brent, for the conversions last week. I appreciated it. I know everybody appreciated it. That's Truck Lover on Twitter. On Twitter, John F. Braun, Dave Hamilton, Pilot Pete. Hey, uh, have a good weekend. Don't get caught. Made up.